Well, great. Well done. You made it on this uh, this strange Sunday between, um, uh, well, the, we kind of talked a lot about Christmas last week and it's all going on and uh, it's coming as well. It's nearly Christmas, um, isn't it? You don't need me to tell you that. It's fairly obvious. And I just wonder whether actually it seems like um, a, a bit of a, a long haul. A bit of a long haul. I don't think you see that picture very well. It's a bit busy. Uh, but there's some people in the front who are, are trekking. It, actually, it's uh, that's a picture of um, something that they have in Nepal and in North India. As you go up, that's a hill, by the way, not a mountain. Or that's pretty high. And that's the, called a Chitturai or Chitturi or something like that. Two. I'm, any Nepali speakers here? I don't know. Okay, I'll be all right then. Um, and they plant two trees, and and they have like a stone wall around it. And you can sit there on your walk, and you can pause, and you can reflect, and you can get kind of refreshment and I wonder whether maybe for some of us Christmas can seem a bit like a trek and we need to have a place to stop to reflect and to think about the view for a while other people uh, sometimes need to stop for the sake of survival Um, I don't know whether you saw that that's any marathon runners here this is a marathon at the North Pole can you believe it? There's a marathon at the North Pole. I saw, about, saw all about it on a TV program this week. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there's a, a marathon goes on. And, and, yeah, it actually kind of happens. And there's somebody winning it. Now, on that kind of uh, marathon, you have to stop every few miles to, well, basically for survival, really. You have to have loads of calories. And uh, someone checks out that you're not getting too frostbitten. And then, and then the marathon starts up again. Full-on marathon. Now, sometimes you need to stop for survival. So, is Christmas for you a trek? (laughs) Or is it a marathon in hostile conditions? (laughs) Does it seem like that? Whatever it is, it's good, isn't it, to stop. Whether it's for survival, I hope it's for reflection. To stop and think. What is it that we're in the middle of? What is it all about? So today, I just want us to stop and pause and take a bit of a break and reflect, have a look at the view of this big event. Not the story itself. Uh, we've, we've seen all of that. We had that last week and we'll have it on, Sunday, uh, on Tuesday morning, rather, if you can make it for the Christmas Day service. But to think more about the meaning, what's actually going on? And one of Jesus' disciples called John, he wrote a gospel in the New Testament and he also wrote some letters. Uh, And he reflects a lot about the meaning. He doesn't tell the stories of how Mary uh, had the the baby and Joseph and so on, or the shepherds, uh, because he knows that Luke and Matthew have already done that pretty thoroughly, uh, because he writes a bit later than them. But he writes about the meaning, and that's where I want us to do today, to, to have a look at what John, what the Bible says about the significance of this great event that we're celebrating today. So uh, this isn't working, Rob. Can we have the next slide? This is what the Bible says in Galatians. When the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman. When the time had fully come. Kids have a hard time waiting for Christmas, don't they? (laughs) 
It's high. Is it nearly there yet kind of thing? When's it going to be? What's happening? Uh, maybe those of us who, who, who perhaps uh, you know, are caught up or not so much caught up, but maybe watch a lot of TV, you too may think, when's Christmas coming? Because they start preparing it you know, around about October time. The ads start coming out. But think about those people at the time of Jesus living in Israel. We sang a song about how the, the, the Jewish people were longing for God to do something, for God to work again. It had been 300 years since there'd been a prophet that had brought any word from God. It had been centuries since, since the great things that God had done before uh, had happened. And, and they knew that there were these amazing promises And then the Bible says it's at the right time God acts. He sends his son, born of a woman. He sends his son to be born as a human being. Waiting, waiting, waiting can be hard, can't it? It's not only kids who find it hard to wait. Waiting in our lives. Waiting for prayers to be answered. Waiting for questions to be resolved. Waiting for healing to be, come into our lives. Waiting for God's promises that we, we sense are for us to be really realized. Waiting. In many of the great stories of the Bible, if you think of a few Bible stories, uh, are all about waiting. Think about Abraham. He waited years for his son. Think about the Israelites in, in Egypt. 300 years before they were released from their their captivity. Think about Noah building his old ark for years and years and years and years. Waiting, waiting, waiting. We've been thinking, weren't we, last uh, last term about the, the exile and how it was 70 years before the people came back from captivity in Babylon to, to Jerusalem again. Waiting. Lots of waiting. Now, Christmas, in, in a very real sense, is about the end of waiting. It tells us that there, there is an end to waiting. That at the right time, God acts, God moves. And, and we think about the Christmas stories, there, there, there's some amazing surprises there, aren't there? Mary is surprised. It's been so long. The shepherds are really surprised as the time has now come. But other people aren't that surprised. Uh, the wise men weren't surprised. They were kind of expecting it. There's a couple of older characters we meet in Luke chapter 2 who when Jesus comes to the temple as a baby to be dedicated or circumcised rather, um, they're there and um, they've been waiting their lives and they've, they're not surprised because they see God's promise in front of them. Waiting. But Christmas says there's an end to waiting. And Christmas tells us that waiting is not wasted. When the time had fully come, God acted. God sent his son. Maybe for some of us, as we wait, we need to remember that. I want us to look at what John says in his, one of his letters. It's in 1 John. If you want to follow it, you can. It's on page 1227. I think we might need the lights back on uh, for this. I haven't got many more pictures, so it, it's the, bracket, the uh, graphics should be fine. <clears throat> one, I'm sorry, done that again. One, two, two, seven. Uh, one John four it is, and it's pay, verse nine. We often use this, uh, these verses at weddings. You may have come across this at a wedding if you're not used to being in church, and uh, this is uh, often used at weddings. 
It's all about God's love, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We also, uh, sorry, our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, God's love is made complete among us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. It's quite a complicated passage. I'm not going to talk about it in any kind of depth. I just want to pick out a few things. So why did all of this happen? Why did Christmas happen here? Why did God send his son into the world? This is how God showed his love among us. We see God's love shown that he sent his son into the world, don't we? We see God's love in Jesus' willingness to come. Jesus wasn't kind of pushed into it and made to do something uh, that he didn't want to do. The Bible says in Philippians 2 that, that Jesus, being in the very form of God, having the nature of God, was willing to set that on one side, to empty himself and to become a human being. Willingly, he lays aside his rights, his power, he humbles himself, he takes on human form, he loves us that much. God shows his love. We need to get that. But he comes among us. See that? His love among us. He's right here. He comes right into our world, right where we are. However difficult and complicated and messy or wonderful or delightful it may be at any given time. He comes among us, says John. He shows his love in that way. And he comes where? Into the world. You know, we think of the world, you know, you get pictures, don't you, of the world of Christmas. They come on, 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 on little cards through the door. Nice, isn't it? Lovely little pictures. Uh, it's all bright and lovely and shiny. And even, even if you hold the cards, they're all kind of silky smooth. You know, and I don't do this, but if you rub them up against your face, you know, they're, they're, they're really nice, aren't they? Really smooth and beautiful and lovely and delightful and wonderful. And, and the messages in them from people that we know are, are great to get. Is that really the world of Christmas? No, God came into the world, our world. Okay, so Christmas tells us about Jesus coming. But there's more. That passage we had up just now tells us that he came so that uh, we might live through him. That we might live through him. Because Jesus grew up, as the song just told us, and he began to teach. He began to show people what God was like. And they started following Jesus. And they started getting to know God like Jesus knew God. Uh, And they began to be part of his movement, if you like. But then came his death. We just heard about it as we sang. But before he died and before he was raised from the dead, he talked to his disciples about how he would come to them. He would come to them. He would be with them. He would be part of their lives in the future. 
And again, John, uh, in his gospel, writes, uh, he gives us the account of the conversation Jesus has. And I just want to read some of it. It's on page 1082, if you want to follow. It's in John chapter 14. And watch out as we read it for these phrases that talk about Jesus coming to his disciples. He's talking about the future. He's already with them. He's telling them he's going away. He's telling them he's going to die. But then he's saying, after that, you're going to know me in a new way. In verse 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, there was two Judases in the disciples, he says, but Lord, why do you intend to show us to yourself and not to the world? And Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching, my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All of this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So again, let's just look at some key phrases here and see what Jesus is saying. There's a, it's quite a complicated argument. and won't go into all the details, but just to pick up, look what he says to them. He says, I will not leave you like orphans. He says, I'm going to die. You're going to be on your own. But no, you're not going to be your own. He says, I will come to you, he says. See that? It's in the passage. He tells them that because I live, says Jesus, you also will live. Your, my life will be yours, says Jesus, in a, a particular way you're going to know me. I'm going to come to you. He says, you will realize that I am in my Father and you in me and I am in you. That promise of, look there, he says, the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love them. My Father will love them. We will come to them and make our home with them. The living God make his, making his home in our lives. That, these are the words of Jesus. This isn't some theologian thinking it up later. This is what Jesus is actually promising his disciples. Peace I leave with you. How is all that going to happen then? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. He says there will another counselor, another advocate will come. God will send the Holy Spirit into your life. Jesus said, I will come to you. It's all about Jesus coming to people who follow him, promising to bring God into our lives, to be with us. How? By the Holy Spirit. He loves us. He comes to us. He is with us. His life is working through us. And and Christmas is about the, the Lord Jesus Christ who comes into our lives. He came but he also comes. He comes into our experience. And who's that for then? Well, it's there in the passage. Did you notice? Those who obey me, those who love me, 
Those who've responded to me, says Jesus. Those whose lives are now centered on Jesus, not on the old way, not on themselves. So at Christmas, we think about Jesus who comes to us as well as the Jesus who came to us. Is that true for you? i tell you a story about a church. Pretty nice church in a pretty good city. They were pretty well off. Everything they thought was going absolutely fantastically. They were really at ease and comfortable with themselves. And then one day, they get a letter. And the letter is from Jesus. And this letter from Jesus, which comes actually through a vision to the Apostle John, who wrote these words or recorded these words of Jesus, tells them that they might think they're great, but Jesus thinks they're blind, they're wretched, they're pitiful, they're naked. And in this letter, Jesus goes on to say, actually, he says, I'm outside of your church. You think you're great. This is actually what he says from the message. Up on your feet then. About face. Run after God. Look at me. I stand at the door. I knock. If you hear me call and open the door, I'll come right in. I'll come in. And sit down to supper with you. It's a pretty empty room, isn't it? I think that's a good picture. Because this was the church in Revelation 3, the Laodicean church. They thought they were great. Jesus says you're empty. Actually, it's a bit like a picture. It's almost like he's saying, I'm knocking on the door and I've got a takeaway with me. (laughs) And I'm going to come in and share it with you. If you welcome me. If you open the door. If you acknowledge and respond to me. So we have not just the Jesus who came, but the Jesus who comes to us. And Christmas points us to that. So Jesus came, and we see God's love in that. Jesus comes. Will we welcome him? Will we turn to him and receive him into our lives? Are we living with him? Now, in the last book of the Bible, and this is really the shortest part of the message, and we'll, we'll be out of here quite soon. The last book of the Bible, Revelation, the last words from God in Scripture. Uh, in that book, Jesus says something four times in four different places. It's like a kind of theme that comes banging through at different points in the book of Revelation. Do you know what he says? I am coming soon. I am coming soon. And you know, Christmas, as that song just reminds us, points in that direction. He's the one who came. He's the one who comes. And he is also the one who says, who promises that he is coming soon. Now, why? Why does Christmas point us in that way? Apart from its coming and and coming. Well, just think for a minute. Think about all those Christmas promises that we hear read out from, from the angels to the shepherds and the angel to Mary and the angel to, to Joseph. These great promises about this king who's coming. All, uh, this king who's going to have David's throne. Who's going to reign forever. The Messiah, the anointed one, the one God was sending. All, all these promises are there in the Bible. They were there in the Old Testament. And the people were waiting for those promises to be fulfilled. And those promises were about how God's king would bring in a whole new world. The whole creation would be transformed according to those promises. And, and when the angels spoke, they said, this is Jesus. This is what he's come to do. To put everything right again. To put everything back into its rightful place. 
This kind of world is out of joint. It's dislocated. It's busted. It's broken. It's hurting. It's falling. And the promises of Christmas was that God's king would come and, and put it all right. Deal with it all. And that began at Christmas. It began with his birth. It began at the nativity. Everything that had to be done to make it happen was finished at Easter when he rose again from the dead. And Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came into the church and into our lives, that was when it was kind of activated. But the promises of everything being renewed are still out there. We're still waiting for those to be fulfilled. And it's going to happen because Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming back. That's his promise. Just uh, want to read a few verses in the book of Romans on page 1135. You can follow it if you want to or just listen. 1135. It starts off talking about how we have the Holy Spirit in our lives as Jesus promised us in that last passage we had. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by that Holy Spirit we cry, Father, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. We have the Spirit. Jesus has come to us. We know his life, but there's more. We will share his glory, says Paul. And then Paul goes on to talk about how the whole of creation is going to be transformed. Just look at these verses here, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. And so it goes on. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of the body. I'm not going to go into details, lots of stuff in there, but the big point is, God, God says in his word that the creation, the broken creation, is going to be fixed. It's going to be transformed. It's going to be changed. Creation is going to be renewed. And it also says that we will be changed. We will share in his glory. There are days coming when Jesus comes, as he said he would. When Jesus' kingship will be all there is. The rebellion against him will be over. He will triumph over evil, all evil, all suffering, all injustice, over death, over hell itself. And we can know him now. He has come into this world. We can know him now. We will share in his glory. We can love him now. We can live something of that life to come now by the Holy Spirit. And if we do that now, on that day we continue to live with him. But if we don't know him now, if we stay in rebellion now, we won't want it then, will we? All we will have will be the consequences of our rebellion against God and our rejection of his great love played out in our lives forever. But the king has come. 
The king has come. Jesus has come into our lives. Jesus comes into our lives. And Jesus is coming soon. It's just a matter of time. I don't know whether you can see that picture. Can you, see, can you work out what it is? It's not Chinese. It's a, a picture from the inside of the egg. And it's like gates, you know. It's like the chicken's been counting off for days till it's time to leave. <laughs> Sorry, I should have made that bigger. I thought it was a really sweet picture. It's just a matter of time. He's come, he comes, and he's coming again. Let's celebrate it this Christmas. Make it really special for his sake.